That's our prayer, right? Keep us, Lord Jesus, in the narrow way. Keep us in the narrow way. Today's sermon will be related to that idea, keeping us in the narrow way. I'm going to ask you if you'll turn in your Bibles for our sermon text this morning. We'll be in the Old Testament today, Psalm 119, and we'll look together at verses 129 to 136. Now, if you notice in your, um, in your handout for the, with the sermon notes today, there are four points. Normally, there's three. There are four points. And there are two words in each point. So, technically, this is an eight-point sermon. <laughs> Which is why I'm making an executive decision to make it a two-part sermon. So, sigh of relief. Today will be part one which is points one and two. Now, if this is a real Puritan sermon, we would just do it. And I would be like, and eighthly, and <laughs> on the fifth sub-point. No. So we won't, uh, we won't be here for an hour. Uh, so I'm going to split it into two. And this morning we will look together at points one and two, which is technically still four points. And then we'll do points three and four next week. To, to conclude. So, that's where we're going this morning. This will be a two-parter. So, Psalm 119, verses 129 to 136. And I ask you to please stand with me as we read together Holy Scripture. This is God's Word for us, His people. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. This is God's holy word for us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would bless the reading and now the preaching of your word. Inscribe its truth indelibly upon the tablet of our hearts. And may we be changed as we peer into this word and seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Well, today is the Sunday before Epiphany, which will mark the end of our 12 days of Christmas. And Epiphany... <coughs> as you may know, is all about the coming of the eternal light into the world in the revelation of Jesus. 
These are the words of the Gospel of John. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not anything was made. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. For uh, John 1.9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Epiphany is all about that light coming into the world in the revelation of Jesus. And indeed, the Gospel of John is full of this imagery, this trope of Jesus as the light. And John, in his Gospel, connects Jesus as the Word with Jesus as the light. He mingles these two images together as we just read. Now, in our passage this morning, the psalmist makes a similar connection. He links the revelation of God with the Word of God, and he links those two together using this image of light. God revealing Himself with Word and light. So look at verse 130 to see this. He says, The unfolding of your words gives light. The unfolding of your words gives light. The words of God are a source of light. And Scripture calls us to walk in God's light. Jesus Himself says this in John eight twelve. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Word and light. Word and light. Jesus calls us to walk in His light. And Jesus is the Word. So if we bring these two ideas together, the way you walk in the light of Christ is to live in the light of the Word. The way you walk in the light of Christ is to live in the light of the Word. And this morning I want us to think about, and next week as well, we'll continue. I want us to think about the question that's printed at the top of your sermon notes handout. How do we live in the light of the Word? How do we do it? What direction or instruction can we glean from this passage in Psalm 119 to help us walk in the light, to live in the light of the Word? And so, four points, which are technically eight points, we're going to look at the first two slash four points. <laughs> right, we're going to look at the first half today. So the points one and two in your handout, we'll look at these first two today to see, to begin to answer this question. How do we walk in the light? 
Now, each of these points that I have, all four of them, are based on the structure of this passage. Verses 129 to 136 in Psalm 119. Each of these points is based on the structure of these eight verses. These eight verses form a series of parallels. This is a really neat feature that happens in in uh, the Hebrew Bible that often happens in Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry doesn't, doesn't rhyme. That's the English poetry, we, we a lot of times rely upon a certain meter and having a certain rhyme scheme. And Hebrew poetry didn't really rely on that. It relied on parallel structuring. Parallel structuring. And sometimes it got a little, sometimes it got really neat and sophisticated. And here, it's pretty sophisticated. Because these eight verses form one giant parallel structure. The very first verse, 129, is parallel to the last verse, 136. And the second verse, 130, is parallel to the second to last verse, 135. And so it works in like this. You have the two outer verses, first and last, and then the next two, and then the next two, and then the middle two. And the whole thing just sort of funnels towards the middle of the passage. Now at the very heart of the passage is verses 132 and 133. It's the only parallel pair that's actually touching each other, that's right next to each other. And that's how you know it's the center. It's the parallel right in the middle, the ones that touch. And so each of these four major points we have are based upon a parallel pair. And you can see that I have point one is going to be 129 and 136. That's the first parallel pair. And the second one we'll look at is 130 and 135. And next week we'll complete the psalm. So that's where we're going. These parallel pairs form the structure of how we're going to walk through the passage. So let's begin with the first. Love and lament. How do we live in the light of the Word? That's our question. How do we do it? How can we learn to do it from this passage? First point, first parallel pair is love and lament. We'll start with love. Look at verse 129. The psalmist says, Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The first thing that you should do To walk in the light of the Word is to love God's Word. To love His Word. And not just His Word in general. The psalmist is actually more specific than that. Look at the the specific word he uses there. Your testimonies are wonderful. Testimonies. What is that? Well, if you look up the Hebrew word, the testimonies refers to God's reminders. God's urgings of what He expects us to do. What He requires us to do. How He requires us to behave. God's urgings are His promptings. It's like when you are at work and you know that you're supposed to be doing one thing the boss said, but you're twiddled your thumbs, you're talking to a coworker, or you're doing something else he didn't ask you to do, and he comes over and he says, um, uh, weren't you supposed to be doing this right now? Didn't I tell you to... What was it I asked you to do again? 
that you're not doing? And it's a gentle prompt, a little reminder like, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You need to be doing this thing over here, aren't you? Or if you have a chore that you're supposed to be doing and you're not doing it, and you might need a gentle nudge, um, dear, you're not doing the thing you're supposed to be doing, right? A little reminder. And, and what's happening there is God gives these testimonies, these reminders in his word that prompts us, that urges us to get up out of your sloth and laziness, get out of the little cloud you're in where you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, wake up, be attentive, get busy, get to work. Do what you're supposed to be doing. That's what these testimonies are. God is re- the reminders in God's word that urge and prompt us to do what he says to do. It's just another way of referring to God's commandments. God's commandments. Now the psalmist has a particular attitude about these testimonies, doesn't he? Most of us resent being reminded like that. I don't, I, I, excuse me, I don't really need to be nudged, thanks. Like whenever we got married, when Sarah and I got married, mom goes to Sarah and says, now, sometimes he needs to be nudged to do what he's supposed to do. <laughs> and I, I was furious. I do not need to be nudged. Do not tell my bride I need to be nudged, mom. You know, <laughs> jeez. <laughs> I am a grown man. <laughs> right? I, didn't want, I did not want to be reminded. I didn't want to be nudged. I didn't want her to be told to do the thing I don't like. I don't want to be nudged. Right? Most of us don't really care if like, the boss comes by. We're just chatting for a minute. Get busy. What did I tell you to do? Get, get, get moving. And you're like, God, I hate that guy. Most of us don't like reminders. At least I don't. How does the psalmist feel about God's reminders? Look what he says. Verse 129. Your testimonies, your reminders are wonderful. They're wonderful. And, and the Hebrew word there is sometimes used for how people respond to miracles. <laughs> Marvelous is what it means. Spectacular. Whoa. Wonderful. Marvelous. Awesome. Extraordinary. These are amazing. You hear his attitude? You hear his heart there? How he responds to God's word? God's commands, God's rules. Here's what you need to be doing, Christian. He says, this is not a drag. This isn't like you being a micromanager and, and ruining my joy. No, this is wonderful that you've given me these reminders. He loves God's commandments. And he says this outright earlier in the psalm. He says it all over the place. But earlier in Psalm 119, in verse 97, he says, Oh, and you can hear the heart cry in that word. Oh, uh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. He can't stop thinking about God's law. He loves it. He's enamored with it. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. He loves God's commandments. And how many times have you caught yourself 
thinking, saying, or feeling that you love, not just the Exodus story and Genesis and the Gospels and Isaiah and all like the cool, fun stories and the, and the commandments. God, your commandments. Thou shalt do this and thou shalt not do that. Yes, I love it. How many times do you hear other Christians talk about their love? For God's laws. His demands of us. It's not our default attitude to being told what to do. It's not our natural response to being reminded to do what we're told to do. But this psalmist says it's wonderful when God does this. It's wonderful when God does this. And that's why the psalmist keeps God's testimonies. 129... Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore, my soul keeps them. Not just outwardly, but my very soul, all the way down, I want to keep your commandments because they are wonderful. And so here's the first thing we need to do. If we're going to walk in the light of the word, the first thing you need to do is to have a new attitude that loves God's commands. You need a new heart that finds obedience thrilling, exciting, and exhilarating. That's not our natural condition because we're sinful and we're fallen. And even if we're born again, that old sin, it still inhabits. It still lingers. It still clings to us. And we have to fight the flesh. Even if the Spirit's willing, the flesh is weak, Jesus says. We need a new heart that loves obedience. That's number one. If you're going to walk in the light of the Word, you've got to love that Word. That's why this psalmist keeps the Word. Because he finds it wonderful. Second half of this first parallel pair. Jump down now to the end of the passage. The parallel to 129 is 136, which says, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. And you can see the parallel. Verse 29 says, Therefore my soul keeps them. And then the word keep is repeated in 136. In 129, the psalmist keeps God's law. And in 136, someone's not keeping God's law. And there's the parallel idea. The second half of this parallel gives us the other side of the coin for this first point. Not only do you need love for keeping the law, you also need lament for breaking it. Note again that parallel word, keep. In 129, it's being kept. 136, it's not being kept. Now this looks like a verse about how we should feel when others break the law. Then you see what it says. Because people do not keep your law. 
It's interesting when you look at this in Hebrew because it's not quite clear who he's talking about in 136. It's not perfectly clear because the word for people, which is in the ESV, people do not keep your law. That word for people isn't in the original Hebrew. It's not in the text. The ESV, the translation that I'm preaching from, and many other versions have made an interpretive decision to put the word people in there. And that certainly could be correct. I'm not finding fault with the translation at that point. That's certainly the majority opinion. The psalmist is talking about other people who are breaking God's law. That certainly could be what it means. But listen to a more literal translation. This is, the, uh, this is how the New American Standard Bible translates it. My eyes shed streams of tears because they do not keep your law. And the question is, who is they? They do not keep your law. They could be other people, that's true. But it's just possible, it's just possible that the psalmist is actually referring to himself. My eyes shed streams of tears because they, my eyes, do not keep your law. It's possible the psalmist is referring to himself poetically by talking about his eyes, using his eyes, part of his body, to refer to his whole self. My eyes are weeping because they are not keeping God's law. And that's why they're crying. He weeps over his own lawlessness. And you think, oh, well, come on, that's not likely, right? Verse 129, these, these laws are wonderful. I love them. That's why I'm keeping them. And then, you, then you're going to tell me at the end of the passage he's weeping because he's not keeping them? <laughs> yeah. Have you read Romans 7? Have you lived a Christian life? <laughs> Do you love God and still sin against God? That's every Christian. <laughs> That's all of us. Of course people who love one thing can do something that contradicts that love. That's what Paul describes himself as doing in Romans 7. The very thing I hate is what I catch myself doing time and time again. And what I long and love to do, I find myself doing the opposite. Wretched man that I am. What's wrong with me? And see in Romans 7, Paul is wrestling with himself. He says, I'm like two different people half the time. So you better believe that's possible the psalmist could be talking about himself. He loves God's law. But that's the very reason he's weeping when he breaks it. If he didn't care one lick about God's law, he wouldn't care when he broke it. You know any unbelievers who are convicted when they break God's law? I don't. The only people who would be upset for sinning against God are people who even care about God in the first place. And I think that's what's happening here. I think this is the psalmist talking about his own experience. And so this is the other side of what we need to walk in the light of the Word. The psalmist finds love and lament paired together. That's the parallel. 
Love and lament are paired together. They go together. The psalmist grieves over his own failure to obey as he wishes he could. And so the second thing you need to walk in the light is the other side of love. You must have a heart that also laments at your remaining sin. Do your eyes shed streams of tears? It's very picturesque in Hebrew. He says, my eyes gush like channels. (laughs) My eyes flow down out of my head because they don't keep the law. I love your law. And I'm devastated that I can't keep it the way I wish I could. And that's what keeps him on the narrow way. Love and lament are needed. And if we're going to be like that, we need a change of heart. And that only comes as a gift from God. Only God can change our hearts to be like this. To love his words, his commands specifically. And to lament when we don't keep them the way we should. That's what will keep us on the narrow way. Those are the guardrails on the narrow way. Love for the law and lament for breaking it. You stay between those lines, you'll stay on the narrow way. Walking in the light of the word. So that's point one. And now our second point that we'll consider this morning. The second parallel pair in the passage is look and learn. Verses 130 and 135. So let's look at 130. The psalmist says, The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. The next thing you should do if you want to walk in the light of the Word, is to look into God's Word and behold His light. Behold His light. And this means that we need to realize that each of us is the simple one mentioned in this verse. He says, The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple the ignorant, even the fool, the one who needs to be informed and enlightened by God's Word. And that's each and every one of us, from the person who never even finished middle school to the one who has a PhD, all of us need to realize that whatever our level of knowledge, however much information we have crammed in here and how much how many cool insights we can give that nobody else can when we're having a conversation. That's not the point. All of us are the simpleton here, the one who is ignorant of God and needs to be taught by God. We all need Him to shed His light upon us and illuminate our darkness. Each and every one of us. So where do we access this light that we need from God? He says here, the unfolding of 
the words. The unfolding of your words gives light. And again, Hebrew is so picturesque. The older the language, the more metaphorical and picturesque it is because they haven't quite developed the vocabulary for real abstract concepts. And Hebrew is... This form of Hebrew is much older than the Greek of the New Testament. And Greek has developed all this philosophical vocabulary for abstract ideas. And Hebrew is just real crunchy and earthy. And it's really the unfolding of your words is really almost like a doorway being opened up. And the bright sun beginning to kind of peer through. And you just crack it open a bit and that light streams in. And as you open it more and more, more and more light begins to flood the room. That's the picture here. A doorway being opened and the light flooding in. The unfolding or the opening of your words brings in the light. It lets in God's light. We need to open up the word. We need to open the door as it were and let the light in and as we do that, more and more, more and more light will show us where to go and how to walk. We need to dig into this book to open up its depths, to uncover its deep truths, to look it over carefully. The word is almost like this to change the picture. It's almost like this hard rock that needs to be broken open through reading, studying, discussing, listening to the preaching of the Word, praying over it. it. We need to break it open, break into the Word so that the light inside of it can break forth. We must look into the Scriptures and the light will give us understanding and it will show you the way to go. And this is... Again, Psalm 119, 105, one of the most famous verses in the Psalms. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God shows us what holy living looks like. It illuminates the narrow way. Love for the law and lament for breaking it might be the guardrails... And the word itself, street lamps that cast light upon the road so that we can see where to go and how to walk. You want to walk in the light, open up this word. Turn on the lights, let the light in, and it will guide our path. And now the second half of this second pair our final point for this morning. The parallel is verse 130, and then its, its other pair, its other half is 135. Look at verse 135. Make your face shine. There's the parallel. The unfolding of your words gives light. Parallels making your face shine. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. The other side of the parallel is learning the specifics. 
Just like earlier, testimonies isn't just the Word of God in general. It's, com- it's specific commands, specific reminders in the Word of what we should be doing. And here, it's specific as well. He uses this word, statutes. Statutes. Now, the word statutes... Let me back up for a second. Let me back up for a second. Where does the light in the Word come from? This was the first first part of this point was look. Look, open the Word, look, see the light. Where does that light come from? Ultimately, the light we see shining in Scripture comes from the face of God. What is it that you are ultimately looking for when you look into the words? It's the face of God. And that's what this language is about. Make your face. The psalmist is praying this. Oh God, make your face shine. And that is parallel with the unfolding of your words gives light. When you're cracking open the door and all that light's flooding in, what's the source of the light? It's the face of God. The eternal light shining is from the face of God. So Christian, you need to know who God is. And you need to see Him in His Word. This is a revelation of who God is. And when you open up these words and you look into these words, you're looking for God's face to see who He is and what He's like. The Bible gives you eyes. Faith gives you sight. But only God can make you see. So open up your eyes, this Bible. And by faith, look and pray to God that He will let you see Him. Seeing God is a gift. That's the source of the light. Now... What else does make your face shine mean? It's a poetic image of God smiling. It means God is happy. It means God is pleased with you. The psalmist is seeking God's face, but not a frowning face, his smiling face. The psalmist is seeking the pleasure of God. And so he seeks to learn his statutes. And now back to what I was about to say. This word statutes, it's specific. It's not general. The statutes are the individual rules in God's law. The individual rules that God has listed out in His Word for us to follow. If you're going to walk in the light of the Word, Christian, you must seek God's face and you must seek to bring Him pleasure. And that requires learning the specific...
commands so that you know exactly what you're supposed to do. If you want to know the will of God, open it up and see. What did He say? What does He ask of us? What does He require? And then we can be about doing the specific things He says. We need to know the specifics. Make your face shine upon your servant that I may keep. Or no, and teach me your statutes. Make your face shine and teach me your statutes. Look into the words and then go there to learn the statutes that God is teaching us. The obedience He requires. So these are the first two parts of this psalm. And next week we will conclude as we move closer and closer to the heart of the passage. Deeper and deeper into what it is that God calls us to do so that we can walk in His light. This week we need to remember that we need love and lament for God's word and for our failures to keep it. And we need to look into these words and seek the face of God and then learn His statutes so that we can pursue His pleasure, His smile upon our obedience to Him. And let's go before the Lord now as we close and ask Him to give us these gifts. Father, we do ask that You would indeed open our eyes to see marvelous things in Your law. That we would love Your law. That obedience would be sweet to us. That it wouldn't be a drag. It wouldn't be infuriating to be nudged and reminded of what we need to do. Forgive us for our slackness and laziness for our neglect. Help us to have the attitude of the psalmist whose eyes weep with tears because he mourns over his lack of faithfulness. Help us to be so sensitive to our sin. To hate that sin. To want it gone. To cry out like Paul, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then to see the answer. The glory of the light of Christ shining brilliantly. Flooding our dark souls. Banishing our sin. Transforming us to walk in His light. And that's what we want to do today, Lord. We want to walk in Your light. Help us to have the love and lament we need. And then move us week in and week out, to unfold your words, to peer into your revelation, to look into the light, to see who you are, to seek your face, and to seek to bring pleasure to you as we follow your commands. And give us joy. Make us thrill at the thought that we get to live for you. May it be a joy and not a burden. And for that we ask you to change our hearts, change our minds, Transform us. Make us who you've called us to be. Do it for your glory. That your name might be praised and renowned everywhere we go. 
that your light might shine even from us as we walk in your light and the light of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.